0: Hello and welcome to Personal Threads, a
1: podcast where we go behind the scenes of the joy of dressing up.
0: Brought to you by Ascot Racecourse, where we uncover how moments and memories from our past can inform our personal style.
1: Each week, a new guest renowned for their chic and unique dress sense will take us on a voyage through their life and personal style, stopping at moments, memories, items or people who have influenced and sewn together our guests' very individual taste. Whether you're donning your finest for Royal Ascot or wrapping up in tweed for the jump season, sartorial elegance and style is in the very fabric of Ascot Racecourse.
0: Allow us to introduce ourselves. I'm Susan Bender-Whitfield, a creative director, stylist and contributing editor to British Vogue.
1: Hello, I am Scott Wimsett, a fashion industry commentator and consultant. My career in digital and broadcast has spanned almost 20 years from presenting for MTV and Vogue TV as a presenter and director.
0: I'd like to welcome our next guest on Personal Threads, London designer Beatrix Ong, MBE. Beatrix's illustrious career jettisoned her to helm the internationally recognised luxury brand Jimmy Choo becoming the brand's creative director at the young age of 22 years old. In early 2000s, Beatrix launched her eponymous shoe range, selling in the world's most prestigious stores, including Saks Fifth Avenue, Liberty and Dover Street Market. And her shoes became part of the permanent collection at the V&A. Beatrix also landed herself on the top 10 leading shoe designers lists, alongside Melona Blanek and in 2011, Beatrix received her MBE from Her Majesty the Queen. She's collaborated with some of the world's most respected designers, brands, and artists, and has worked on special edition projects, including collaborations with the luxury travel case maker, Globetrotter, Dover Street Market, and Nike. Beatrix is a multifaceted talent who recently developed and launched her second brand, an eco-focused platform called Company of X, which represents researchers and designs sustainable homeware and fashion products. Welcome, Beatrix. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. So growing up in Hong Kong, you left Hong Kong to study in London. At what age? Age
2: 16. 16 years old. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So that must have been quite a culture clash for you. What were the first impressions of British style and who were your style heroes at the time?
2: Well, okay, so we're going back to 1992. Telling my age now. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone in Smash Hits? <laughs> <laughs> so it was much more. So it was like Britpop. Okay, so that that was, was going um, on. Blur, blur. Yeah. Blur. blur. So in Hong Kong, quite a lot of cultural influences come from America, and all I wore was Nirvana T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> So went from Seattle grunge to Britpop. Interesting.
0: (laughs) What were those key influences growing up from your perspective? And how do you think that informed you into your journey
2: and bringing you here today? Okay, so (laughs) when I was little, if we're going way back, if we're going like age three to seven, all I wore was a Superman. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's
2: interesting. Superman outfit. With the cape and everything. Wow. Know, but that random. must have been
0: quite defining because you can remember it quite vividly. Oh, because
2: every photo of me... <laughs> the there she on. is again. <laughs> yeah, and people would be like, oh, that's unusual because she's a girl. She's not dressed in dresses and things. But
1: What was it about Superman that you related to in that way?
2: That's the thing is I don't think I have a connection with Superman at all. I just think it's because... It was red, blue, and yellow, like right. right, the Fisher Price colours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so random. There was that, and then in terms of footwear, yeah. was my red and white roller skates.
1: <laughs> I mean, you How were a busy that? child. Yeah, yeah a lot of there she is.
0: She's so Speedy with her cape. <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess like also part of personal threads is looking at these really early memories. I know for myself, my mother was like that 80s housewife entertaining a lot and the house was always full dinner parties she used to wear a lot of Emmanuel when she'd go out I used to sometimes pinch one of these cerise sort of evening gowns that had sequins (laughs) as you opened up the wings and I was just obsessed with it and that has stayed in my mind forever I'm just interested in yours sort of growing up where you were and any of those key early memories of somebody who inspired you who really loved fashion
2: so I mean I'm very influenced by music and I would say David Bowie is probably, like, the mm. biggest. Good one. Just muse, icon, like, everything, in how he was just comfortable in every iteration of himself. Mm. I'd say David Any Bowie. particular
1: Bowie vibe that was, like, really <gasps>
2: yeah, strong he's for he's had you. many names, hasn't he? So what period? Yeah, all of them, I would <laughs> say. No, because I really loved, like, everything from the super disco mm-hmm. to, like, the 80s, where mm. it's just, like shirt and trench coat I think he covered it all mm. and I think that's the great thing about especially with
0: Jeffrey, even though some of the looks were out there he made them his own and that's the thing about personal threads personal style it's feeling comfortable and just feeling like yourself or a version of yourself in that outfit because when I get dressed up sometimes I'm a different character I'm like who am I today and then I dress up in that look <laughs> and then I'm embodying that Yeah. But was there particular style that or event in your life that formed your design aesthetic your style aesthetic oh that's so tough
2: definitely would be in the 90s because like in your teenage years especially when you're trying to figure out like who you are like I went from Mm -hmm. full denim yes (laughs) to like baby doll dresses. Like, Ala but that Versace. was the smash
0: hits era, though, wasn't it? It was. like, whoever was. was top ten, you were like, oh, my God, they're amazing. I'm going to dress like that. Yeah. And then you'd yeah, switch yeah. it up.
2: Every day is a different person. Yes. Yeah. So for me, I think in the 90s, again, because it was also so varied, I'd be switching from grunge to, like, baby doll dresses, Ala la Versace or Anna Sui. You know, yes. it was like... Anna Sui. Anna Sui. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's all coming back were you, I mean, were you part of a tribe? Was there any club circuit you were doing Or certain social scene Where you were living in London I remember like I lived at one point in Brixton And another point I lived in Chelsea You know, Ooh, I was oh, a wow. different kind, oh, of, wow. kind of like Postcode yeah. Do you know what typical. I mean? You know, you'd get on the tube on one side in your baggy tracksuits And then you'd get on your red cords And your penny loafers You know, it was very different sort of vibe Put so, your velvet so,
2: headband on notice. Yeah,
1: exactly, my <laughs> Alice band But how about you?
2: I think because I came from Hong Kong, it was like, whoa, just all of this. I remember coming to London and going anywhere. I don't think I had... I mean, at St. Martin's, we were a tribe in ourselves, I think.
1: Nice. I guess also you mentioned music, but what about film? Are there any iconic films that you look at from a style perspective and think, like, that's just stayed with me, it's so amazing?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely in the mood for love. Yes. I actually designed a whole collection very, very early on that was based on it, but not literally. For inspired me... Inspired by. Inspired like, by. Nice. No one really knew what the link was, but it was kind of amazing because at the time, the shop was in Primrose Hill mm. and Rachel Weiss came in. And I didn't know that she was filming with Wonka White at the time for Blueberry Nights. But she'd come into the shop and she went, you know, this is all very... In the mood for love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, ah, uh, yeah. I'm like,
2: in one, like, yeah. amazing.
0: Well, she obviously did her research for the role and on the directs, <laughs> yeah. she's like, this
2: looks familiar. <laughs> just, like, felt what he brings. <laughs> yes. In the mood for love, I mean, the, Romeo and Juliet, I think is another one, Baz Luhrmann. Mm.
0: Still very similar styles, though, in the way that it's quite vivid and powerful, the imagery of yeah. the clothing. And also, I think, the colour grading. Yeah, yeah, the, off, it's very contrast. The,
2: yes. Yeah, high contrast, high yes. colour. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm probably opposite to that. <laughs> like, comfort, personally. Nothing
0: bright. Muted nothing colours. muted colours. Muted colours.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, like, my wardrobe, it's literally navy, 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 black, white. And then they'll be, like, bright green, and then navy, navy, navy. navy.
1: <laughs> Family members... Is there anybody in particular that sort of had a design, discipline, an aesthetic, colour palette, something that you referenced before in your work or just deeply stays with you as a visual image in your mind of somebody who really loved fashion and style?
2: So my grandmother, actually both grandmothers were really into fashion. My parents, like I come from family of doctors. <laughs> So, completely different. Mm. But I still have some of the dresses from my now late grandmother, and they're Chang San, So, they're oh, like yes. traditional Chinese dresses oh, that were tailor made in like very muted, actually, not too dissimilar from this colour. There's one mm. like this colour with a sort of, sort of like a. Soft rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a really soft purple. And all the pictures I see of them, black and white, are just immaculate. Yes. Even though they're black and white, you can imagine totally like Wonka, kawaii in the mood for love Mm.
0: totally that imagery is so powerful yeah so you still have some of their dresses
2: yeah
0: oh how beautiful
1: I mean going back to what we were saying earlier just in regards to your career chapters I mean from working in the fashion department at Harper's Bazaar yeah and then becoming a creative director at Jimmy Choo aged 22 yeah I mean that's super duper young so just how did you make that transition going from obviously working at a consumer fashion title mm. and then going in house to a global name like that, like Jimmy Choo?
2: The short answer is I just said yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm a, I'm a superwoman.
2: Like So at Harper's Bazaar, it was amazing. So that was 96. So it was Liz Tilbury's was the editor. Incredible editor. Uh, incredible. Mm. And the nicest human being. Yes. So it was such an amazing experience and for me partly because my personality, if I get given something, I'll just do it. And I'm like, mm. yeah, and I'll be a thousand percent in. So the chain of events was whilst I was there, the accessories editor at Bazaar at the time had met Jimmy Choo in Paris during the shows. And he said, I've got this intern. She's actually from London. You should meet her sometime. I think it was just it was it just was a conversation. Just a conversation. Away. And Jimmy was like, yeah, when she comes back to London, I'll meet with her. And that's how I met. Jimmy Choo. Mm-hmm. Parallel to this, I was on the path to advertising. Right. I did a completely graphic. Completely different career choice. <laughs> completely. completely different. So I did a graphic and media design degree, and that was like the path I was on. So I wasn't really looking at fashion at all. And actually, at Bazaar, I had gone for an art director internship, mm. and they'd gone, Well, we're full. How about fashion? Wow. So, all right then.
0: (laughs) You definitely have that (laughs) have-a-go
2: (laughs) spirit. Like I said, it's just saying yes. So, it's like, okay, yes. After, like, a year or two as being an art director in an ad agency, it just wasn't fulfilling for me. Like, Mm. I liked using my hands. Mm -hmm. During my degree, I was building up everything. So, one of the briefs was to make a post for a new theatre called IMAX Theatre.
0: At the time. <laughs>
2: At the time. And what I did was I built a poster in three dimension, you know, and the teacher was like, okay, so Beatrix, how are you going to print this? How's it going to be put up on the building? You know, I, was I like,
1: don't do practicality. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. I was like, I don't know. I don't think that's my problem. <laughs> I'm just going to create this. So... Going into advertising was such like a reality hit, and I was like, oh, okay, I can't build stuff anymore. I got to think of colours like CMYK, Mm -hmm. how I print it, all the practicalities. Mm -hmm. So I missed all the making. So I decided that I would go back and start learning something else. And because I'd gone through an arts degree, Mm -hmm. I know how to paint, I knew how to draw, Mm -hmm. I knew all these things, and then I was looking through the UAL catalogue, and I was like shoemaking. don't know anything about it and that sounds like fun. And so I went and did a professional certificate in shoemaking.
1: And where did you do that Central St Martins?
2: At Cordwainers. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's the only shoemaking college yes, in the it still UK. still is. It's
0: Quite a few amazing She Designs yeah. Like Yourself, Charlotte Patrick, Olympia, exactly. Patrick Cox. Everyone's been there because I think it's the only
2: it, one. Yeah, it was the only one. Now there's other universities that right. do it. But certainly at the time, it was the only also practical one, one that had workshops that you'd actually make. Thing, yes. So after that, I then had a meeting with Jimmy again. And he came to my graduation totally poker face you know at this point
1: did you have a friendship at the time or he was just keeping a sort of beady eye on you he <laughs> thought like she's going places I wanted her to be part of my team
2: do you know maybe a bit of both like in hindsight but at the time I was like he is this really great amazing shoe designer just fingers crossed the whole time but at the graduation show also I was like this with <laughs> 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 my details, take them, take them, take them. But then had the meeting with Jimmy and that's when he offered me the role. And at the time, like, honestly, it wasn't about age. I just felt ready. Like, by this point done a load of internships. So I just felt like professionally.
1: But what role ready. did you go into when he said, would you like to work with me and my team?
2: Creative direct.
1: I mean, that's straight in there. Mm. You weren't know, daunted
0: by it.
2: No, like, I really felt like I was ready. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you also knew your
2: design voice there and then? So no, not yet. But I was good at listening to others.
0: Mm. Right. So that helps you shape what was your first collection for Jimmy Choo.
2: Yeah, I think that also the advertising experience of knowing a client Mm. and then delivering exactly in the client's voice really helped me.
1: Can you paint a picture a little bit to us about what was the climate like in that time in regards to how people were dressing, what expressions they were making via the clothes that they were wearing? What did the fashion landscape stand for at that time?
2: So for me, it was probably my favourite time ever is the 90s. I think because it was so varied, you had like Helmut Lang, but then you'd also have John Galliano doing his thing too. Like it was so exciting. I'm super appreciative that I was cognizant in that Mm -hmm. time, you know, like seeing these things, listening to all the music, like 90s music. Hands down, still my favourite. <laughs> same, same.
1: I mean, and for Jimmy as well, that time in that chapter of the brand, everybody was excited about working mm. with Jimmy Choo, weren't they? It was a really exciting time.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was pre-shoes being a thing. hmm So it was really Jimmy, Manolo Blanik. Mm-hmm. La mm-hmm. was, I'd say, quieter at that time. Mm-hmm. But that was it you that know like it. it was it was pretty so you
0: owned the accessories landscape in that way whereas celebrities and people were really not only looking at clothing they were looking at the accessories the shoes and the bags and that would define you as well just as much as the clothing in that sense
2: yeah but back in the 90s i just feel like even in terms of design mm. a last would last yes A couple of years Mm -hmm. you couldn't say that now right you have to turn a new last like almost every season every half season Mm -hmm. to sort of keep up with fashion Mm -hmm. so footwear was always to me it was much more of a craft and a product design thing Mm -hmm. rather than fashion Mm -hmm. and then during sort of like late 90s sex in the city Mm. it then took off as a fashion item Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what were your best sellers Uh at the time (laughs) So at Jimmy Choo, it was like strappy sandals. But it's come full
0: circle because everyone's gone. As we all know, fashion goes around every 10 years, apparently 10, 15 years. And now everyone's back into the 90s. I remember going to the shows recently for all the autumn winter collections earlier this year. And I was literally like... Okay, so we're going back to the '90s again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah. really was like I know. all the t-shirts, the mixed, you know, fringe skirts and everything like that. It was almost semi-grunge, but yeah. the strappy sandals that everyone's wearing now. Yeah, as well.
2: I mean, whenever I see things in magazines now, in my head, I'm doing an inventory of what I might still have.
1: <laughs> 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 going to get those out. Yes. Give them another outing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but that's the great thing about,
0: you know, that's what circular fashion should be. The old pieces that you have, they're going to come back in so you can, I think, exactly the same way. Yeah. I bring them out again and I'm like, no, actually, these are the original ones. Yeah, yeah. Back from the (laughs) 90s. (laughs) So you presented the royal wedding of Prince William to Kate Middleton for Central Chinese TV. And that must have made history in that sense, because it was the first broadcast of a royal and religious event outside of China. And you had an audience of two hundred million wow. people in China. <laughs> I mean, that's mind blowing. <laughs> so what I want How did to that know that is come about? what so, did you wear? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Okay, no, what I wore is Holly Fulton. Uh. Okay. A really lovely sequined dress. My own shoes and Stella McCartney jacket, which actually was part of the entire outfit of what I wore to my investiture. Mm. So the two things were quite close together. Yes. But no, that's what I wore.
0: That's what you wore. Did you wear a hat as well?
2: For For presenting? Presenting, no, no.
1: No. How did that come about? Like well, obviously, you are first and foremost a shoe designer. And then yeah. obviously, you're approached by a Chinese TV network that says we would love you to host this reporting from London. So how did that come around?
2: So they were like, I would love you to comment on fashion, mostly the accessories. Yeah. And then they drip fed me the information. Did you do
1: the audition in your Superman outfit? And they were like, we've we've just got to have her. She's amazing. This this is translating to 200
0: million people. (laughs) But with your own shoes on.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Good personal touch. Um, No, they drip fed me the information. So at first it's like, oh, would you comment on a few things at the wedding? And I was like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Yes. And then it was live. And then it's like. (laughs) Then there's quite a few people. A yeah. <laughs> few be... more
1: segments, a few more guests for you to interview. A <laughs> uh, few more, okay. more
2: people that will be watching it. Yes. So it was very gradual. So I wasn't quite like hit by the, the, the
0: enormity of the, 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 the occasion.
2: The... <laughs> and, and what
1: shoes did Kate wear on the wedding? So
2: she was wearing full Alexander McQueen. It was full yes. Alexander McQueen. Alexander McQueen. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they would sort of like, oh no, it's very easy. You're in a booth, so you don't have that feeling that there's millions of people watching you right.
0: eyes on you yes.
2: so that's good so they're making me feel really comfortable and then two seconds before the producer just ran in and she <laughs> she went oh yeah sorry i forgot to say if you mess it up yeah. you can't go back that's it and i was like oh <gasps>
1: <laughs> just going to keep on going it's live
2: it's live and you're on i naturally i say things that might be censored sometimes yeah that sometimes is-
0: you have brain farts because i remember when we were presenting <laughs> royal ascot for the first time last year and i realized that we were going live because i could hear my voice from across the racetrack and i thought it's got a slight delay so i just turned around and saw myself on uh,
1: many screens,
0: oh, many God. screens, about 60 foot high. And I just turned away back to the guest. I, was <laughs> on talking I, thought, total I pro. cannot yeah. think about this at all because then I'll just stop and like rabbit in the headline. Right. <laughs> And in talking about Royal Ascot,
1: (laughs) you said you have been. From my first experience of going a few years ago, it's a really good place to people watch, isn't it? And everyone's interpretation of style is all very, very different, obviously, depending on which enclosure you're in and just how married you are to that style guide. Mm. Um, Mm. Talk to us about your first impressions of going to Royal Ascot and perhaps what you were wearing and some of the outfits you might have observed on the day.
2: Well, first of all, the atmosphere is always amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... So quintessentially British. Mm. So everything you imagine, everything you watched in My Fair Lady on speed, like yes. <laughs> just multiplied. Yes. But you get um, the elements
0: of every walk of society as well there.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I love just walking around because mm. it's like where you see all these amazing outfits, the energys just buzzing, people putting bets on people yes. not putting bets on it doesn't really matter. it's mm. just the atmosphere yes. is like electrifying. Really and then is. of course the races themselves I really enjoy.
1: Yes. Uh, footwear, I think obviously yeah. is quite an important consideration seeing as you do an awful lot of standing around all day long. yeah. So what are your recommendations for suitable footwear for
2: In the my races? Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's part of the design process I have is like, can you stand in these at Ascot? <laughs> yes. All day long. Which is really tricky
0: if you're wearing heels because they always sink into the grass. But they've got these weird shoe covers, which are like those plastic
2: yeah. champagne
0: um, exactly. stems that you get you stick them on. And before, when I first saw them, I was like, oh my God, they're ugly. I don't know why people are wearing them. But now with this shoe designer, Amina Muddy, she designs the heels like right. that. So now they're on trend. Yeah, now yeah. Now you can wear them. <laughs>
2: I mean the things I would wear to ask it and, yes. and- polo for example Mm. would always be like a flared heel or platforms just for that reason I'm small anyway I don't need to sink another I can't (laughs) afford to lose another two inches if anything we want to go up (laughs) yes (laughs) Um,
1: now in 2019 Bedricks that saw the launch of your second brand the company of X an eco focused platform founded to merge design with social and environmental sustainability so tell us why that's so important obviously fashion and many other industries carrying many sins and looking to correct themselves and sustainability really being at the core of any progressive business. So why is it so important to you?
2: Well, so for me, throughout my career, me and my product developer in, in Italy, we just constantly look at the wastage. I mean, footwear is the biggest culprit. Is it? Of wastage. Really? Yeah. Because if there's a problem on the track or if there's, let's say, like a slight mark on the shoe on the track, it's much easier. Easier mm-hmm. for the factory to throw it away then yeah, so it just... Then try and correct it. Then yeah. try and correct it. So it all literally just goes straight to landfill. Yeah. So in 2015, I did design, like, a shoe that you could actually take apart all the components and then reuse them.
0: Wow, that's great. Um, so you are ahead of
2: your time, actually, in that sense. Yeah, I think because if the same question starts coming up again and again, you have to stop and be like, OK, we need to address this. And how do we do that? So, yeah, that came out in 2015, actually. That was one of the pieces that was collected by the V&A. That and also like a high heel strappy mm. shoe. So Company of X is really about community as well. So all these wonderful social enterprises, really at the bottom of it, helping people. Yes. And um, connecting
0: people in the sense.
2: exactly. So not just eco-sustainability, mm. but also social sustainability mm. is really at the heart of it. And I think those things are incredibly important to me.
0: So what projects are you working on within Company of X at the moment, which are community-based?
2: So we work with different social enterprises to create product. Right. At the moment, homewares. Which is
0: big considering we've all been locked in our homes for the last two years. Yeah. <laughs> Homeware is a massive <laughs> industry
2: now. Yeah, yeah. Like the opportunities are there. Mm. It, there's always that juxtaposed, as, is like the demand versus what is actually good yeah. for the planet and people. So, for example, like one of the plates that we collaborated on with a brilliant potter mm. is made out of single use wine bottles from a restaurant in London. That's brilliant. I mean, he's just a genius. Found a way to grind them up so fine it becomes porcelain. So it's like a glass porcelain. And then the science that goes behind like trying to fire it and make it last and all of that. I leave to them, like I leave yes. to the experts. <laughs> but that
1: sort of techie understanding of fashion mm. and how fast that's moving and how that can become part of the solution, I find fascinating in regards to how we upcycle and reimagine what fashion can do and stand for and I think, obviously, sustainability for the last couple of years, everyone's suddenly got ahead of sustainability and every PR marketing message is rooted within that. But it's interesting that the awareness from a citizen customer mm. is dialing up and asking where they're putting their money as their vote and thinking carefully, well, look at what Beatrix is doing. I want to put my money there because I believe that she can yes. see the future.
2: I mean, one of the things that came up in, like, a sustainability talk that I was involved in was someone was just like, it's just overwhelming. Like, how are we going to save the planet? We're too late. Best way to make change is to do it incrementally. Mm. Okay. And I think we've seen that with food, right? In the first instant when someone was like, oh, buy organic. Yes. People were like, it's expensive. It's not available that much. But now organic is just normal. Yes. It's these tiny little incremental changes to make the, the big change.
0: So you published your first book, A Bee and a Tree. <laughs> yeah. And it, the age range is from three to 150 <laughs> years, which is... It's a book for everyone. <laughs> and you designed, wrote and illustrated it. So did you self-publish it as well? Yeah, or, through Amazon. Through Amazon. Yeah. So was that a lockdown project or was that... Pre or
2: that cancer. was pre-lockdown so I can't even remember when it was now maybe 2018 right it was something that I wanted to do for myself so actually I wrote it for myself and my godchildren yes and it was really came from if I was going to leave like any legacy or if there's one lesson that I've learned in life yes what would I want to pass on yes
0: And it's about a bee's journey, chasing her dreams despite facing difficulty. So in a way, through life, you must have faced things which have, within style and design, you've made mistakes and you've had triumphs as well. So tell Mm. me about some of the
2: mistakes and triumphs that you've had. So many mistakes. (laughs) So many. I mean, the thing is, like, it's such a contrast, isn't it? Like fashion and style, but you have these very hard, real things. Like I was saying, after this, I have a meeting with lawyers. We're going through contracts. Yeah. All of that is part and parcel. I remember (laughs) straight out of Compton, the movie. Yes. (laughs) So having a a conversation with a friend about it, they went... Yeah, it really is all about the music industry, which is basically the contracts. And, Mm. and and you know, that's what it is like in fashion. So I've made a few mistakes. I've been in litigation. I've been in very, very heavy, grown up, quite serious instances whilst trying to like design something like and being creative. But it almost goes hand in hand. And it sounds so clichéd, but the mistakes and the failures are the best things, I think, about a career. Yeah. So are there
0: any moments, like photographs or images that you've seen yourself, and you cringe at that image because you're like, oh, my God, why was I wearing that?
2: Most of them. <laughs> like, you know, when you, when you go out and you think, OK, here's a good example. So I dress for comfort. Yes. But I'm also comfortable in heels and a gown as well as swimwear yes. or wetsuit or something. I'm comfortable all the time. That's like my key
0: thing. So if when you're actually choosing a piece, your modus operandi is, is this comfortable? Am I going to be comfortable for whatever the occasion is? Yeah. That's it. Otherwise, and it's a no.
2: That's it or else it's a no. Yeah. But <laughs> to your point of mistakes, or not mistakes, so I was wearing... What I considered to be minimalist chic, right? Margaret Howell APC. I had wool, grey trousers on, really smart, like navy APC jumper. I was like, yeah, I'm rocking this little bit Annie Hall, yeah, but. Little bit you preppy. Know, little bit preppy. It's all good. Then I was on the tube. <laughs> Door opens and this schoolboy comes on. And he stands literally opposite (laughs) me and we are wearing (laughs) exactly... the same thing.
1: Oh, you can imagine that moment. That's brilliant. So I I, am- are you at the same school? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> and that, you. <laughs> that's when I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm wearing oh, exactly no. the uniform of a school in Chalk Farm."
1: That's brilliant. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Um so but in listen, my
2: head I was
0: like, yeah. You were still having on that it. vibe.
1: <laughs> and he's like, "Do you want to play Conkers?"
0: <laughs> um So how would you define your personal style? I'm going to ask you two questions, different answers. Personal Mm -hmm. and design style in three words.
2: Personal style. I end it in one. Comfort. (laughs) (laughs) It's just comfort all the way. All the way. Like One of the drivers of designing shoes to be comfortable Mm. is, I think we've all been in a nightclub where just like, need to take these shoes off because they are so painful. Mm. And you can't even think about anything else, right? That pain is real. I I
1: know that one. (laughs) It's been a while, but I do remember a few Saturday nights out. Just
2: the worst. And then it evolved when people then started bringing in trainers or whatever with Mm. them, shoving it in your bag. But that pain, that searing pain, Mm -hmm. is why... I need to design shoes that are comfortable. Yes.
1: I love that. That's so nice to hear as well. Well will I ask it. Yep. What will
0: you be wearing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, comfort again. <laughs> I was thinking of wearing like Edeline Lee. Yes. Mm. Um, and Noel Stewart to do the hat.
0: Tips. Yes, he's brilliant. He's I amazing. do love his hats.
2: But I ask it, I always, I like to be the spectator. Right. So I go like, quiet chic. Quiet chic with a bit of a twist. Not schoolboy. Yeah. Not school balls. Ball.
1: <laughs> At least you won't see something from chalk farm. You know, year five. Like, oh. Some quick fire questions for mm-hmm. you, Beatrix. Yeah. Okay, so flats or heels? Both. Both. You have to choose one. I'm afraid. Uh, We're going to be strict about this, seeing as you uh, are a shoe designer.
2: Well, that's why it's like asking me <laughs> to choose a favourite child. <laughs> I cannot. No. Fair
1: enough. Well both. argued. Okay, handbag or clutch? Handbag. Good. Cape or formal coat.
2: (laughs) You know, I think I know it's going to be the cape.
1: (laughs) Superman.
2: Uh,
1: Recycled or circular. Circular. Good. Kindle or hardback.
2: Oh, hardback and softback. Definitely paper.
1: Good. Yeah. Moving away from any console.
2: (laughs) And you can take them into a swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> 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 that's very good, that's very good that's, by the pool that's with what your not to
2: read. You can't do that with a device.
0: No, you can't. Just when you
1: look at Crystal Ball moment and you're looking at the future of fine footwear and what that service it provides and what the industry could look like in say five years' time, maybe from an environmental perspective, what do you see, Beatrice
2: I see definitely a much more sustainable approach to manufacturing but also selling. So for me, this whole sort of industry thing of trying to produce more to sell more, Mm. we know it's not working. Like if you look at any sale that is doing like 90% off, that's not working. And all you're doing is making more stuff.
1: Which we don't need.
2: That you Mm. don't need. So from star perspective... Definitely less gender there's just no reason to mm. to divide it any you know, like going back to the point of me dressing like a schoolboy, mm. <laughs> there's no hard, fast I like, like line in gender anymore, and I think footwear's probably the last to come into that mm-hmm. um it's okay with sneakers, that's something that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there are quite a few sneaker brands out there that are making sustainable, eco-friendly products, but there are not many that are doing that with shoes at all,
2: No, just because the process is so... It's quite old school, Mm. and it's a bit like a huge ship trying to change direction. All the power's in the smaller brands.
0: Yeah, as always. Yeah. As always. And so what's next for Company of X as well?
2: Oh. Lots more stuff. You know, I want to build it out more into community led platform and not just product. Yeah. One of the things that I land upon quite often is the most sustainable thing you can do is just stop making stuff.
0: Yeah. But then that puts you out of work in a sense as a designer, as a yeah. creator.
2: Yeah. But for the benefit of the planet, I think, it's, you know, it's okay. <laughs> you can do all that. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah.
0: But you can always repurpose all the things that have been designed and find new ways of actually creating stuff from what we don't want.
2: Yeah, I mean, Helen Kirkham's a really great example of someone like footwear designer who's taking excess stock from all the big sportswear brands Mm. and then making them to something really cool.
0: Yes, there's another young designer. I think she's graduated a couple of years ago. But she was using old Nike trainers that she'd bought in a second-hand store. And then she would put them on old slingbacks, which were dead stock. And it literally blew up last season, last summer. And everyone was wearing her shoes because I thought, oh, my God, this is a revelation. And I thought, well, this is great, but how is that business model going to transform to be a global brand in that sense? And I think... She's still working with brands like Nike and mm-hmm. Adidas and all the other ones and maybe just getting the stock that they can't sell and reworking it. It's yeah, exciting
1: cause... to see, isn't it, yes. what's going to happen in the next five years because all the business models that we've worked and relied on in the past are fractured, yeah. they don't mm. work anymore. Exactly. So it's now where all of that progressive thinking comes and it identifies new roles, new yeah. creative opportunities.
2: Mm. Yeah. And in this, like today, we have the internet right democratizes everything Mm. so it's very exciting like before i literally was taking around a suitcase full of shoes to different doors Mm. now people on tiktok instagram they're selling things direct and i think that's one of the most exciting things is like yes you can make these one-offs it doesn't seem obvious at first what the scalability is yes But the demand is there. The appetite. It's no longer just a shop window on a high street. Your shop window is literally the world. So you can
0: actually dictate what you actually want as a consumer, which I think is refreshing. Yeah. Because it's usually the other way.
2: Yeah. Traditionally, it really was. (laughs) It was like... Whatever vague tells you, to, (laughs) it's like, that's
0: it. (laughs) That's it. Now it's like we're all informed and involved in it. Well, thank you so much, Beatrix, for joining us and giving us those wise words and little points about your 80s and Superman outfits. Thank (laughs) you
1: very much for being such a colourful guest. (laughs) Personal threads. It was a real
0: pleasure. And look forward to seeing you at Ascot this year.
1: Thanks so much for listening and please remember if you enjoyed joining us you can subscribe so you don't miss the next one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Personal Threads is brought to you by Ascot Racecourse. The show is hosted by Scott Wimsett and Susan Bender Whitfield, produced by Little Dot Studios and edited by Content is Queen.